0: She got her life straightened, and she was going to that church in Sopchoppy all the time, and she took somebody home, and then went home herself, and she got met up with him already in the house.
1: So when she came home, he was waiting for her? Yes, sir. That's what we believe. That was retired Wakulla County Sheriff's Major Bill Poole, describing the demise of Ruth Ann Chasen, who was killed by an intruder, who subsequently set her house on fire 17 years ago this week. That tragic story and more are coming up on Sun Crime State. I'm Tony Holt, crime reporter for the Daytona Beach News Journal. Welcome to Sun Crime State, a weekly podcast that takes an in depth look at Florida's biggest crime stories of the past and present. In this episode, I'll discuss the bizarre story of a Palm Coast man who was arrested on allegations that he had rigged the front door of his home with wiring attached to a car battery in an attempt to electrocute his pregnant wife. And later, I'll talk about the January 10th, 2001 slaying of Beth Ann Chasen a 45-year-old church-going divorcee who was murdered inside her Sopchoppy area home before it was set ablaze. The case is still declared unsolved, but investigators know who the culprit was. My special guest for that segment will be retired Wakula County Sheriff's Investigator Bill Poole, as well as Jason's ex-husband, Scott Chapin. Coming up, the story of a woman who had her car and her three-year-old twins stolen while she was inside a Chinese restaurant paying for her takeout.
2: How many kids in the car? Two, Two. they're twins. A boy and a girl, oh my what? Listen, hold on, take a deep breath for me, okay? Ah, What kind of car? What kind of car? ah.
1: Monique Gloss spent about two minutes Wednesday inside China One Restaurant in Daytona Beach. It was close to 40 degrees outside, and she wanted to keep her three-year-old twins warm, so she kept the car running. By the time she paid for her dinner and walked back outside, her car had vanished. Gloss called 911 in hysterics. 9-1-1,
2: 9-1-1, oh oh where's your emergency? I'm at 9 one I I went in the store and I left my... I went in the store and he just wanted to grab my food. Somebody my car with my kids in the car. Please okay, me. hold on, hold on. Where are you at? I'm at
1: 9-1-1. The 911 operator got Gloss to calm down just enough to get some information.
2: Hello? Please hurry up. What? Listen, listen. listen, stop, stop, stop. What kind of car? It's a Chevy Impala. What color? Door, red. Do you know which way it went or now? No. You didn't see any suspects? No. And how old are the twins? Say three.
1: Gloss became frantic again when police showed up.
2: I've already got lots of people coming to the area. What's your phone number? <laughs> my, my phone in a cop. So your phone is in the car? Yes. Man. Man, hey, did you see somebody telling me that right here? Somebody got my kids in the car like they ran over my kids. in the
1: car. Both the car and twins were found minutes later, a little more than a mile south, near US-1. The car was parked behind an apartment building on Virginia Avenue. A witness told police she saw a male wearing white jeans and a white hooded sweatshirt get out of the stolen vehicle and run to another vehicle occupied by two other males. They fled the scene before police found the abandoned car. Because children were involved, the Florida Department of Children and Families was contacted. Gloss is a single mother of four children. She was still shaken Thursday morning when I called her on the phone seeking comment, but she said her kids were unharmed and returned to daycare that morning without any signs of trauma. She told me that if a suspect is identified and arrested, she fully intends to press charges. Earlier that same morning, a man in neighboring Palm Coast also kept the keys in his vehicle and his engine running, and he too had his vehicle stolen.
2: Flagler County 911, where's your emergency? Somebody
0: stole my car.
2: Okay, calm down. It'll be all right. Where are you located at? I'm at Tuesday Spiral Path.
0: They just left you with it.
2: They just left with it? Were you up to date on your Ah. payment?
1: It wasn't a repo man taking Joseph Lockowitz's car. Much like Gloss, He was keeping the engine running and the heat blasting so he wouldn't have to drive a cold car. It was then that somebody got into the driver's seat and pulled away.
0: I started it to get it warm. I literally walked inside. They pulled up in another car and I took it.
2: Did you see the other car?
0: No.
1: Okay.
2: Not really. I was too busy chasing it down the street.
1: Flagler County deputies issued an alert and used a built-in Bluetooth system to track the stolen Jeep to Derbyshire Park in Daytona Beach. That's where Daytona police found the vehicle unlocked and abandoned about an hour later. The vehicle was turned over to Lokowitz, but his backpack and laptop were missing. The car thief also attempted to disable the GPS tracking system, damaging the vehicle's windshield in the process. Coming up, a story about a Palm Coast man accused of rigging a door and trying to electrocute his pregnant wife. A Palm Coast man is accused of assembling a battery-powered apparatus and connecting it to the doorknob and deadbolt lock of his pregnant wife's home in an effort to electrocute her. As a result, 32-year-old Michael Wilson was charged with attempted aggravated battery of a pregnant woman. According to the Flagler County Sheriff's Office, had Wilson's wife inserted her key into the lock and grabbed the handle, it would have completed the circuit, giving a fatal current of electricity a direct path to the ground, through the victim's body. Detectives said the jolt would have surged through her arm, chest, and heart, and likely would have killed her. Wilson's wife was in Tennessee, and she became suspicious when Wilson told her not to let a child touch the doorknob. He also insisted that she enter the house through the front door because the garage door was broken. She wound up calling her stepfather, who went to the house with his wife to check it out. They found a suspicious note, which included a drawing made of lipstick on the back sliding door. That's when they called the authorities. Deputies showed up at 110 Whitehall Drive and found the front door was barricaded. One of the deputies kicked the door open, which set off a large spark inside deputies found a rigging system that consisted of two chairs a child's high chair blue tape a shower rod electrical cords wiring and a car battery charger with clamps here is Flagler County Sheriff's Chief Steve Brant describing to me how deadly the contraption was so we had an electrician uh,
3: go out they observed pictures of it studied it and They made the determination that based on uh, the way it was connected that that the amount of uh, volts and amps going through it that it would have uh, 80 to 100% chance it would have
1: caused serious bodily harm or death. Flagler County Sheriff Rick Staley called it one of the strangest domestic violence cases he had ever encountered. Brant, who has served 20 years at the Sheriff's Office, said the same thing to me.
3: Pretty bizarre. Um, so I've been
1: I've been doing this a long,
3: I've been doing this 24 years in law enforcement. I've, I, you know, we get updates on booby traps and we get you know intelligence briefings and stuff like that. I've never actually seen one or come across one in my career. Um, luckily, you know, it, it happens obviously, but I've never experienced it. This is the first time that, in my recollection, that I can remember us ever dealing with it.
1: Deputies have not released the name of Wilson's wife, but an arrest report provided details of an interview she gave detectives. She said her husband had been perfectly normal until a few months ago, when he suffered a fall and refused to seek medical attention. Afterward, according to the sheriff's office, he had to be hospitalized under Florida's Baker Act, which allows for someone to be involuntarily taken into custody for mental care. The wife had become fearful of her husband's behavior, but he apologized to her and asked to spend the holidays with her in Knoxville, and she accepted. Deputies said it was during his stay that he again started behaving erratically. He left for a couple days and returned. During that time, Wilson's wife received an alert on her phone that the smart cameras she had installed inside her home had been disconnected. Wilson also told her not to use the garage door and to make sure no child touched the front door knob. That's when his wife called her stepfather, which led to the discovery of the booby trap.
3: And, and the, really the the sad part of it is it could have been anybody to do that and then just leave and leave it like that and you know could have been a child could have been his wife could have been a deputy could have been anybody that approached that door and completed the circuit could have could have gotten electrocuted.
1: Wilson was picked up on a warrant in Knoxville Tennessee and was held on $100,000 bail. As of Sunday he was still awaiting extradition to the Flagler County Detention Facility. Coming up, the story about the murder of Ruth Ann Chasen, whose charred remains were found in a pile of rubble in Wakulla County 17 years ago. Ruth Ann Chasen had a stalker. It was a man she knew from high school. It was someone she got reacquainted with during a high school reunion sometime after her divorce. That stalker was Michael Linder. He was found dead from a drug overdose on the side of a highway in Georgia in June 2004, almost three and a half years after Chasen's body was recovered from a pile of smoldering wood in the area of Smith Creek, a quiet rural area about 30 minutes southwest of Tallahassee. Chasen believed Linder was going to kill her. Law enforcement had its suspicions too, according to Bill Poole, a retired major with the Wakulla County Sheriff's Office, who investigated Chasen's murder, and who knew Linder all too well.
0: We were working on uh, this case prior to her death. She had come to the Sheriff's Office and reported that he, or the person of interest of Mike Linder was stalking her. We got to the point that I put a, de- a detective White and a detective crumb out in Smith Creek. And you must understand that Smith Creek, the radios and cell phones don't even work out there. That's how far away it is from anywhere. It's south of Tallahassee on 365 and north of Sopchoppy. And you're closer to Leon County no radio communications, no telephone, no nothing. So she lived out there in a, a, a beautiful house that was the family's home, We uh, and we started staking that out because she felt like he was going to get
1: her. Linder was never charged, let alone convicted, of Chasen's murder. One year before Chasen was killed, he had attempted to set her house on fire, but instead of being convicted of arson or attempted arson, Linder was only convicted of trespassing and never spent a day in jail for that conviction. More on that later. Ruth Ann was born in Atlanta and lived much of her life in the Panhandle. In 1966, her family settled down in Quincy, located in Gadsden County, where she graduated from high school. She spent part of her life living in St. Petersburg and Bradenton. She also worked at a bank in Tallahassee. But a few years before her death, she decided she preferred the quiet life. She occupied the family house in a faraway place in the area of the Appalachicola National Forest. Her father had built the house during the Roosevelt administration. The first one, it was a 100 year old house. She lived there alone in a place called Smith Lake. Ruth wanted tranquility. She wanted to be detached from all things urban. It may have suited her, but she had people who tried to talk her out of spending all of her time there, especially while she had to contend with a potentially dangerous stalker.
0: We can never convince her that she didn't need to be there. That was her house. She wanted to be there. It was a beautiful piece of property. Beautiful piece of property. And she would not go anywhere but that house. She just wanted to be out there in that house. And it was, I'm telling you, it's out there in nowhere land. It's nowhere.
1: Ruth Ann was previously married to Scott Chapin, whose soft spot for her never hardened, even after their divorce in 1997. He told me that Ruth Ann was the love of his life. He has never remarried. The two were married for 10 years and mostly remained in contact after the split. Chapin clung to the hope they would reconcile. He told me they were inching toward that before she died.
4: She was, in many respects, just a a beautiful woman, not only in appearance, but uh, had a heart, a sweet heart of gold. Pretty much characteristic of a southern belle. Basically, I would say that's what
1: led me to fall in love with her. Ruth Ann never had children. She was deeply religious and attended church regularly. She stood five feet six inches tall and had a thick country accent and long, wavy brown hair and brown eyes. Men found her very attractive. Among those who found her attractive was Mike Linder. The six-foot-five farm boy became infatuated with Ruth Ann. The two had dated for a while. Poole had told me they even lived together for a short time, but Linder's short fuse was too much for Ruth Ann and she left him. But he refused to allow her to sever all ties. And that house in Smith Creek that Ruth Ann had occupied was a source of tension between her and her ex-boyfriend
0: he felt because he helped her rebuild that house that she belonged to him basically and he could go there anytime he wanted to and he could do what he wanted to and what happened was is ruth ann and him probably had some rough times in her life and she was breaking away from him very pretty woman she was breaking away from him and she didn't want anything to do with him anymore and he just would not let her go
1: Chapin told me that in late 1999, Ruth Ann confided in him and told him she suspected that Linder would someday kill her. Months later, in January 2000, Linder tried to destroy everything Ruth Ann owned. An old friend of hers, a tugboat captain who lived in Alabama, came into town to visit her. The two went out and took her car. The captain left his Corvette parked next to Ruth Ann's house. Enraged at the sight of a man's car parked on his ex-girlfriend's property, Linder rigged the propane tank located 30 feet from the house and tried to set the house on fire. But Mother Nature had other ideas.
0: Well, right when he, right when Linder set that a fire, hey. Rainstorm showed up and put the fire
1: out. Poole told me the storm moved in swiftly and the rain poured down hard. The fire was put out before it could do any significant damage. After Ruth Ann and her friend returned to the house, they could smell gas. So they knew something had happened. They also discovered damage to the Corvette. The fire burned long enough and intensely enough to burn off some of the paint. Linder was arrested. A witness had seen him leave the property and reported it to the sheriff's office. In this instance, Linder was unable to dodge an arrest. Poole told me Linder had a history of sidestepping trouble.
0: He was very bad news. And when I dug into him, I mean, I'm telling you, this story could go on and on and on about his life i mean his life and the things that he got away with because he was that six foot five guy wearing jeans and cowboy boots and had him a great job he abused other women there's records of that uh he abused his wife shot a house up with her in it but in 1979 there was a young girl came up missing that case was unsolved Guess who the last person was that saw her alive mike linder that was her boyfriend her remains were found about a mile a mile and a half as a crow flies from his house in decatur county i'm not saying he did it but i tried to get that case opened up But, but mike linder has been around a lot of stuff
1: during the night of january 10th 2001 Ruth Ann had attended a prayer meeting and birthday party at Mount Elon Baptist Church on Smith Creek Road. She left the church around 9 p.m. and gave a ride home to one of her fellow partygoers. Then she drove to her house, where she encountered Mike Linder.
0: They got into an argument. Don't know if he intended to kill her or not, but the medical examiner said her death and the fire were two different incidents. So she was already dead before the fire was set. So he walked outside, pushed a little 5,000 BTU air conditioner that she had in the bedroom, and he lit the curtains on fire and drove out of there.
1: He used an accelerant before setting the fire. Ruth Ann was lying dead in her bedroom as the house she loved collapsed around her. A brick chimney fell on top of her body, which may have benefited investigators. Everything in the house was incinerated other than that pile of brick. That protected Ruth Ann's body from being reduced to ashes. A medical examiner had enough of a corpse to perform an autopsy. The report stated she had been murdered. A man hunting in the area of Smith Creek saw the glow in the sky around 11.30 p.m. and called firefighters. A volunteer unit tried to put out the blaze, but they were overwhelmed the fire chief said
4: subsequently that you know it was uh something like it took so long to put out because it was like as much as 2200 degrees or even higher fire and it was so remote that they had to keep you know getting the pump trucks filled up so the whole thing was you know devastating
1: chapin said he was at home when he got a call from ruth ann's sister
4: I found out the next morning, um, about 9.30 in the morning, uh, her sister from Tallahassee gave me a phone call and said that, uh, that there had been a fire, you know, at the Smith Creek home. At this point in time, they had not found, you know, located. They did not know where Ruth Ann was, but obviously the implication was is that they were, you know, that she was inside the house.
1: By the time Chapin showed up, the fire was out, and the wooden house was now a heaping pile of embers. Authorities had not located her body, but it was believed Ruth Ann had been home. Her car was on the property.
4: Thing. It was just unbelievably horrifying. I mean, she was such a sweet, sweet thing. And then, um, um, you know, to, to come into the property and it was like, uh, you know, a quarter of a mile drive in, maybe not that far, eighth of a mile to get into the home site, you know, from the main road um, and then to come up and see the crime scene. And then just, you know, nothing left of this, you know, it wasn't a two story house, but it was a very high, very high roof house, you know, that would have been typical, you know, back in the 1900s, but just to see everything smoldering and the portraits where we would hold reunions and have family gatherings, I mean, just find nothing there. And at that point in time, not knowing where she was and just hoping and praying that she had gotten away or wasn't in the home.
1: During the morning of January 11th, Ruth Ann's family's worst fears were confirmed. Ruth Ann had been killed. At first, authorities told the media there were no signs of foul play, and the fire was accidental. But a day or two later, news came out that Ruth Ann had been murdered before the fire, which turned out to be arson.
4: I guess it was the worst nightmare, you know, because we kept... um the family kept thinking that you know somehow she might have gotten out or you know would have been somewhere else although it wasn't logical and stuff but just putting out hope that she would still be alive or whatever so to hear you know that they had found remains i guess i mean devastating wouldn't wouldn't even cover it it was um, just a bunch of tears sobbing and you know disbelief and loss, you know, somebody that innocent, sweet, you know, would be murdered and then destroy the evidence, any evidence, um, by burning the building down.
1: The Wakulla County Sheriff's Office paired up with the Florida Department of Law Enforcement to work the case. Bill Poole knew who had done it. He focused his attention squarely on Linder, who had the motive as well as the history of violence against women and a history of committing arson. He not only tried to set a fire, he tried to set one at the exact same spot one year earlier. Authorities still needed more evidence. Ruth Ann's phone records showed that Linda had called her the night she had died. Investigators tried to obtain Linda's cell phone records, but they kept getting hung up in court. Poole told me they never were able to obtain those records before they were destroyed. Also, Linder's spoke to a friend of his the day of the murder. That friend never cooperated with investigators. He referred all inquiries to his attorney, who also didn't cooperate. Poole told me he believes that friend knew something, heard something, or discarded something that could have led to a conviction, but he never chirped. Linder still had to answer for the attempted arson from January 2000. Due to a technicality, Linder never was convicted of an arson-related charge. The deputy who filled out the report did not mention the damage to the Corvette, which meant there wasn't ample evidence to show that a fire was intentionally set on the property. However, Lender was convicted of trespassing that trial took place after Ruth Ann's murder. Chapin attended. It was the first time he had ever come face-to-face with the man he suspected of murdering his wife.
4: You know, I knew him to be responsible for, you know, hurting Ruth Ann. I believed that he was the one that killed her and put the house down because there is suspicion that this isn't the first time that he had done something like that. And... Um, um, um. I wanted them dead.
1: Linder wound up getting probation. As the Ruth Ann Chason murder case went cold, Poole and his fellow investigators tried everything.
0: Listen, we did so much. There was so much going on with that case. You know, we put up, the sheriff's office and FDA put her picture up everywhere with rewards. We put a billboard up in Chattahoochee where Mike Linder had to turn down to go to his work every day, and he had to look at her picture every day. We used to put flyers all over Chattahoochee asking information uh, about the death of Ruth Ann Jason, and we'd take those things in his, it was a public place, in the office where he worked, and he'd come in and snatch them all down. He was so angry.
1: As it turned out, Linder's luck finally ran out. His downward spiral began at a private party in Sneeds, a small town in Jackson County just south of the Georgia Line. Up to 60 people were at that party, including Linder, and a girl he was pining over, and a teen who had his eye on the same girl.
0: there was a big party over there. He was a partyer, uh, so he got over there, and some young boy was dancing with some woman that he wanted to be with, and uh, I, I was told that this boy was 17, and he didn't he didn't back down from Linder. He says, y- you know, you need you need to get it on get on out of here. And Linder was like like I told you, six foot five, so he went to his truck. And he pulled out a mini uh, semi-automatic Mac-10 or whatever. I think he fired it off in the air and run everybody out of the party. Well, everybody left by the time the Jackson County Sheriff's Office got there. Well, when we found out that that happened, Sheriff Harvey sent me over to Jackson County to reenact that crime scene. So I interviewed 23 people, got probable cause to make an arrest for him. He's never been in jail before. And we got him arrested for aggravated assault with a deadly weapon.
1: Linder was ordered to serve 11 months and 29 days in jail. While he was in jail, FDLE agents had put together a dramatization of the Ruth Ann Chasen murder. The plan. Was to show it on the televisions inside the jail in the hopes that someone on the inside knew something or heard something and would be willing to testify that Linder had committed the murder. Agents were hoping Linder had said something to a fellow inmate while in jail. However, according to Poole, the privately run jail did not alert authorities when they released Poole. They let him out a few weeks early, before the video could be shown. After Linder was released, FDLE, for reasons Poole couldn't explain, decided not to show the video. The FDLE investigators who worked the case with Poole are retired. Efforts to reach them were unsuccessful. After Linder's stint in jail was over, he ran afoul of the law again when he flunked a random drug test. He was charged with a probation violation. During a pretrial hearing, his attorney showed up to court, but Lender wasn't there. Following that hearing, Lender's attorney gave his client some sobering news.
0: He went to court, set another date, he, he didn't go, his attorney went for him, and the attorney went and told him, he said, Mike, you're tired of you, man looks like they're going to give you about 20 years in prison. They're tired of you. They're tired of what you're doing. That's when he decided he wasn't going to go to prison. And that's when he killed himself. And that left our case that left our case uh, unsolved.
1: In June 2004, inside a vehicle parked along the side of a road in Decatur County, Georgia, Lender's body was found. Poole said Linder had labeled everything inside his house so that when relatives went there to collect his things, they knew what items were being passed down to whom. Poole told me that Linder knew he was going to die on that highway. It was not an accidental overdose. Poole also told me that he has mixed emotions about Linder's death. He wanted to arrest him. He wanted to charge him with Ruth Ann's death. He wanted to bring him to jail. His sheriff stayed in contact with the victim's family, keeping them up to date on the investigation as much as he could. Linder never faced justice for Ruth Ann's murder. Poole said he took the easy way out. If he couldn't bully his way out of something or manipulate his way out of something, he always took the cowardly route. And that's what he did in this case. At least, that's how Poole sees it. The now-retired investigator wishes he had better luck in the investigation. He was always one step away from making that long-awaited arrest. The finish line was never crossed.
0: We didn't get any breaks on this, other than him killing himself. But we didn't get any breaks on it. Luck was not on our side. And that's the only reason that case went unsolved. Technically, by FDLE standards, that case went unsolved. We just didn't catch a break in that case.
1: The case, according to Poole, is still declared unsolved. But he is hoping to change that by convincing both the state attorney's office and FDLE to close it. Thank you for listening. Tune in next week when I will discuss a mass shooting outside Brooksville committed by a destitute, desperate, alcoholic man who had just lost his home in a fire and who held a massive grudge against his family. After that shooting, the gunman drove three counties north along US-19 and exchanged gunfire with deputies, killing one. Join us next week for that heart-pounding story. You can find Tony on Twitter at TonyCrimeWriter or email him at Tony.Holt
0: at news-jrnl.com. Be sure
1: to rate us on iTunes. Sun Crime State is recorded by Tony Holt and produced by Chris Bridges for the Daytona Beach News Journal.